0: Listener Production. What does your worst day look like? What does that day where everything is really bad, there becomes something so antisocial about you that you want to shake that main character? And as someone who has been that main character but also known them, I know the frustration of wanting to yell in someone's face, cheer up, get up, what's there to be so sad about? Because you're watching them drown and... They are pulling people down with them. It's not their choice.
1: My big question for this episode is, can we choose to be happy? And what choices can we make that can help our mental health? Here to help me answer that question is author, podcaster, and broadcaster, Jessie Stevens. Now, you might have seen Jessie on the project or listened to her on her weekly podcast, Mamma Mia Out Loud. She's also a new mum, having her daughter just before the release of her first novel, Something Bad is Going to Happen. Now, Jessie has been very open about her own experiences with depression and she draws on that in her best-selling book. Now, before we start, a gentle content warning. Our conversation does touch briefly on suicide and there are resources for you in our show notes. Jessie Stevens, it is so good to meet you. I feel like I know you because I hear you, (laughs) I read your words, I see you on the telly, but I get to meet you face to face.
0: I feel the same. I feel like, oh, hey, Jess, I've known you for 15 years or something. But um, no, this is the first time we've met the
1: flesh. It is. But we have got you to answer a big question and I couldn't think of anyone better. The big question being, can we choose to be happy? And I wish we could. I really, really wish we
0: could. It would be very painful if that answer was yes, because there are a lot of people in my life that I think I would harbour a lot of resentment if it was possible for them to choose happiness. And I've seen them experience such despair, which has a cascading effect on a lot of people around them. Depression in particular runs in my family. So it has brought me some level of peace, I suppose, to go no one wakes up and decides today i want to be unhappy it's a sickness it's something that is embodied it's it can feel physical it, it you know it's in every fiber of your being that isn't to say we can't recover and i think that we absolutely can but it is not as simple as a choice it's just not
1: i think you're absolutely right you're spot on i often say to my daughters if i had a magic wand that i could wave and fix you, fix everyone, I would do that. If only life was as simple as making that choice. And the older we get, I think the more complex we realise it actually is. That idea of happiness, because I don't actually think there is such a thing. I think there are moments of joy. And for me, I think about it in the sense of contentment rather than am I happy and now I'm happy in life, so then everything is great.
0: Yeah, and it sounds cliche, but the idea that it would be any sort of destination and something that you achieve, it simply isn't. But I think if you have experienced depression, which is different to sadness, which is different to grief, which is, you know, those things are normal, you know, on the emotional spectrum. But if you've experienced depression, you know what the opposite is and it's having a life force it's having energy and so to me and i know to my family when i'm in that mode i go oh this is living there's such grief i think associated with living a life that isn't happy like that's it's such a thief in in that way to have these incredible life moments and i think i've experienced this myself in the last 12 months where you have moments that for your whole life, you thought, once I arrive here, happiness is promised. And there is a real shock when you arrive there and it's not and you go, oh, wow, something bad that could happen is, is me and and my emotions towards this event. And so, yeah, I think that I think there's a real grief in that to kind of realize that you're not promised Happiness. It can, you're limited sometimes and you know, Sylvia Plath called it the bell jar and I think that it's a metaphor that rings as true
1: now as it did then. Well, it's that sense of disconnection. You mentioned there that in the past 12 months, there've been times when mm. you've, you have felt that lack of joy and I've also heard you describe it almost as like the, the death of your soul. And, yeah. I, and I think that is so true. Having gone through depression myself, Can you share with us what that has looked like for you in Mm. these past 12 months?
0: Yeah, it certainly isn't sadness. It's not as simple as that. I had um, depression during my pregnancy and I've been medicated for depression for 10 years and I thought I was out of the woods. And then...
1: We're never there yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I've learned. I was not. I was like, (laughs) I chose to be happy. How is this (laughs) happening to me? And so during pregnancy... I started feeling more than anything a numbness, a disconnect, like life was happening on the other side of a pane of glass. And people would say, are you so happy? Are you so excited? This is, you know, I would wanted a baby. Why? Why had this suddenly happened? But I felt as though life was something I couldn't touch. And I was walking through life as though it was sort of quicksand. It was sludge. It was the energy. And this is why I think a lot of people describe it as a sickness. I felt sick. I felt physically sick. I felt tired. I had no energy. I couldn't sleep. The body clock stuff was just all over the place. And then I was arriving, I was kind of in the thick of that when I got married. And I went, this is my wedding day. I know I love this person. I am pregnant. Like, all of these things have happened. How lucky am I? I'm the and luckiest I've person.
1: All of these boxes, all these things yes. that you sort of aim towards in life, as you'd said earlier. When I get to here, I'll be happy, or this will be a sign of success.
0: Exactly. As though it's like some kind of game where if you put in enough happy moments, happiness should spurt out. And I was going, where is it? It's not here. And there were a, a few reasons for that. And this is why I think happiness isn't a choice. What was happening to me was so deeply hormonal and so deeply embodied that I could wake up every morning and go, come on, you're going to exercise, you're going to eat well, you're going to see the sunshine, you're going to like all the
1: right things. And logically, like you know in inverted commas what to do. And to me, that is the real unfairness in mm. the sense of depression because you know you should be doing all these things yep. but you physically can't it actually exactly. hurts yes it is it takes enormous courage to basically get out of bed each day
0: that's all your energy reserves and then sitting across from people because they say connection 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 and I would sit across from people I'd, I'd go out to dinner I would try and I couldn't it's like the feeling of smiling was excruciating I wasn't plugged in. I was somewhere else. It was like I was looking going, can you plug me back into this life? Because I'm somewhere else entirely. And
1: I'm meant to be happy. And yeah. but it's that idea of people coming up to you going, Isn't this the best time of your life? You know, there's yeah. you pregnant. Oh, you're about to get married. Isn't this the happiest you've ever been? And you feel like you've got to perform and or act. Yes, it is. When whereas on the inside, you are literally dying and thinking, yeah. what is it with me that I can't choose catch this. this? And I can't get
0: these moments back. They they are slipping away from me. I turned up, but I wasn't present. And I'm doing. I was meditating. I was meditating so hard. I was like, "Come on! If I just meditate hard enough, I will show up." But because of course, you're an
1: achiever. <laughs> I mean, hello. I mean, we will be talking about your incredible book. Something bad is going to happen. I mean, it's a bestseller, but you're an achiever, so I can imagine you going, "I'm doing this. I've checked all these things off, all and of still, the things. this this isn't shifting within me."
0: Yeah, and this depression. It's interesting what you say about. Um, postnatal depression because my obstetrician said, it was actually my partner who who flagged it with sort of the midwife and stuff and said, I'm looking at her and she's not okay. And he said to me, I have learnt over all of these years that one of the worst things you can say to someone who's just had a baby is, are you so happy? Don't say it. Don't assume. They are feeling, if they are not feeling every single thing they're meant to be feeling, they are already beating themselves up. Ask them how they're going. Because you can't assume. There are so many changes going on in our brain, in our body, and everything, life completely thrown upside down. And for me, that was during pregnancy. And what I managed to do was see a really good psychiatrist who changed my medication. I checked in with my psychologist, and I think that really helped me in the postpartum period to sort of get on top of it. But I had to be allowed to fall in a heap and go, I feel terrible because I really did.
1: And you talk about allowing yourself to fall into a heap. Mm. How do you do that? And I ask you that in the sense of having gone through depression myself, I find that very difficult because I always feel like I have to keep it together. And that literally falling in a heap, I used to think that was a sense of failure. Yes. And, And even to a degree still now there's a part of me because I still manage my depression where I think I have to, even though I've got better, I have to still keep everything lined Mm. up. How do you then allow yourself to fall in a heap but know I can put myself back together? I think
0: sometimes you need a day. It's not, I wouldn't recommend not getting out of bed for a week. Doesn't help. But sometimes what you need, and this is what I did towards the end, was just clear those weekends and go, it is taking everything for me to show up and do my job on a Monday or to make my appointments or whatever, to go, I am not thriving and the exercise is going to fall away. And towards the end, that's what I was more so able to do. My dad has always said, and he's lived with depression for a really long time, and he used to say to me in high school, put one foot in front of the other and go through the motions and the mood will catch up. I'm not sure if that's necessarily worked for him. I don't think the mood always does. But a lot of us don't have another option. And if there is a child in the mix, you certainly don't, because that child is relying on you. And I think that's the tragedy sometimes of postpartum depression is that a lot of people don't even have time to flag it. And then you are so last in the, you know, people being looked after and the focus is this little baby. And that's the important thing too. I might have been pregnant and depressed. I still loved that baby. Like I still... But of course you do. Yeah, that's of course you do. And that's
1: a given. And I think almost there's a misconception sometimes with well-meaning people who think perinatal depression or postnatal depression, oh, there's an issue but with the mother and the baby. Not at all. Uh -uh. And it's almost like I know with me, it would manifest itself in I loved very much, I had it very much with Allegra, my eldest daughter. I loved her so much. I was so worried about what might happen to her. But there was the love that I felt for her was never in question.
0: No, I was uh, listening to Ian Hickey did this incredible podcast recently and um, Dr. Ian Hickey and he was saying it can almost feel like a jet lag in terms of your sleep's not right, your appetite's not right, you know you're not yourself, you're not plugged, you know you just feel like absolute crap and you can't enjoy, get on a plane and go to Paris, you can't enjoy Paris until you get over that jet lag. But imagine that for months and... That doesn't mean you feel sad towards the person you're hold it's not even sadness isn't it I think that's why I've leaned into sort of the description of the death of the soul because it's something within me is not there it feels like that's dying and I'm walking around as this empty sack of flesh going I don't know who I am I've forgotten how to laugh I've forgotten how to do the things that make me happy people say well what'll cheer you up what if you go to the movies this is the trap, is that there is not a single thing I can do today that I honestly believe is going to make me feel better. And I think admitting that is kind of a little bit freeing.
1: It is. Mm. It is. Because you're giving yourself permission and you're also recognising, getting back to our question of, you're not choosing this. It's not as No. If, it's not as if, oh, I'm going to choose to be happy now because I finally... I'm pregnant or I finally have this baby or I finally have an amazing partner I'm not choosing to be depressed yes. this is a chemical this is a chemistry within my brain that has come to thwart me exactly. yet again and that's the <gasps> cruelty of depression as well is
0: with it comes a set of behaviors that make the depression worse it's like so you don't feel like getting out of bed You don't feel like exercising. You're not eating properly. You've lost the ability to have a conversation and connect with people. You can't laugh. You can't enjoy the things you're used to. And that's why it cascades so quickly. And you can't see yourself falling down because it feels like this is the truth. I remember sitting with a psychologist once and feeling like she was wanting me to invest in her delusion of what the world was like. And I was going, no, I think I can see it clearer than you can. And things are bad, and she would go, you know, try and challenge it. Was sort of cognitive behavioural therapy, and she would challenge it. And the arrogance of me in that moment to just be like, "No, I think things are terrible," and I'm looking around at happy people, going, "Oh, if only you knew. If only you could see how things really were," which is this sort of depressive realism. But right now, uh, since having my baby, I've felt a completely different thing. It's like it's not that my life is going any better. There's been heaps of challenges but I wake up able to cope with them. And I don't know,
1: it's not nothing I've done. Well, that was going to be my next question. How are you now and how are you managing things now? I've had to make
0: some, I mean, I read something recently about self-care that said that if it's something you can buy, that's not self-care. It's a- Oh, I reckon you can. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of fun. A good sparkly <laughs> eyeshadow. shadow. A candle always helps. Um, But boundaries, and it sounds, again, cliche, but I think what I noticed with all those trying to accumulate happiness and I was on this treadmill getting to this sort of mirage of like, there it is, there it is, and every time I got close, it would just get further and further away. I think that had a lot to do with success and my sense of achievement. I have slowed down enormously and that has made such difference.
1: And has that been hard for you to do? And for someone like yourself who is incredibly successful, your book, Something Bad is Going to Happen, it's on the bestseller list. I mean, it was released just before you had Luna. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're an incredible successful podcaster and writer, you're on the project. You know, you're kicking all these amazing goals. So how hard is it then to actually go, you know what? I have to either step back from that or still do it, but not invest as much of myself in it.
0: It's hard because when we talk about burnout, we don't expect that we would be burnt out from doing things we love. And I love all of it. And so I'd look at it and go, no, no, but I really want to write on that show. And I I really do want to. I love doing the project and I love doing this and I love doing that. But working seven days a week is leaving me miserable. So what I've found is that I'm good at saying no to things on behalf of Luna. I'm not good at saying no to things on behalf of Jessie. So
1: in that way... That continues. (laughs) Believe me, my daughters are now teenagers and I'm still not great at saying no to things. But when I think about my girls and then I'm like, no, I'm doing it for them. Yes. It is easier. It's funny, isn't it? It
0: is. And a friend said to me, it's the hardest, easiest decisions you'll ever make. Because I've said no to things I've really wanted to do. And I've not thought about it for a second. because I've gone, no, I know what the decision is. That's a bit of a shame. Like, you know, there was something tonight on an event that I would have loved to go to. And I went, no, I can't. I'll be with Luna.
1: And that's freeing.
0: And that's freeing. And I think that in that way, I can prioritize rest and I can prioritize being present And
1: as long as then you don't put pressure on yourself to then go, okay, I am now being present 100% of the time. Exactly. Because then also, I know when your kids are little, there were moments when I was like, I actually don't want to be present. (laughs) I need to dissociate. (laughs) I'm going to lock myself in the cupboard and eat (laughs) MMs or get on my phone or something. Exactly. Oh, that Sometimes (laughs) I need that. Give yourself permission for all my moments
0: of presence. I'm like, for this hour, I am going, we're going to sing and we're going to have a chat and it's going to be wonderful. And I'm going to put you down for a sleep and I get my time and it's wonderful and I'll lay, I'll lay in bed and look at TikTok. It's not going to be, I'm not going to go and do
1: something productive. Good. Something like horrible. For you. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of putting yourself first or Luna first, so you're doing more of that, what else are you doing, Jesse, to look after yourself? The big thing
0: has been
1: medication and getting that right. I love my meds. I often say that oh. to our wonderful listeners. They Life-changing for me and yep. I've I'm realizing i I'm going to be on them for the rest of my life. I've got no problems with yeah.
0: that. Yeah, and a lot of people, and I had this when I was on them at first, I was like, okay, when do I get off them? Should I get off them now? Because if I'm going to achieve true happiness, I shouldn't be on my happy pills. Uh, no, and they're not happy pills. It's something else. They allow me to function and to get get to a point where I can employ the good behaviours that will keep the momentum, the wheels moving. So because I'm on that, I can get out of bed. I'm a really bad sleeper. And during pregnancy... Still? Are you still a bad yeah, sleeper? Yeah, I'm not good. It's the insomnia during pregnancy was really bad. So that's something I'm working on. I've read every book on it. I've like, but of course the, high, you have.
1: the harder you try. <laughs> You're going to do a PhD <laughs> yeah, in it. I'm and so that's that's going to be your <laughs> next, next book, your to
0: sleep.
1: <laughs> it's like, the harder
0: you try, the worse you get at Yes. You've got to not try. Yes. So I'm like, don't try, don't try, don't try. And then it's 4am. Or get up.
1: Sometimes <sighs> yes. you've just, you have to almost go, you know what? No, I'm going to get up. I'm going to watch some crappy yep. Real Housewives, whatever it is. And then try again. a bit later, or even if I'm not sleeping so great tonight, I've got tomorrow night, or I just think, again, all of us need to take some of that pressure off. Yes. And I think as well, you know, it's listening to you talk, I love it. You inspire me, and I know that you inspire so many other women because you put voice to what so many of us go through, but you also, your story is one of hope, and more and more we need to hear about, People living with depression, Mm. but still living really good lives and recognising, you know what, there are going to be moments when the wheels fall off, when it's going to be bumpy, but that's okay because that's not forever what your life will be.
0: Exactly. And if you're depressed right now, life will get amazing again. It will. It's hard to hear that though.
1: It is. Oh, you don't believe it. Because you're just like, no, I'm forever going to be in this dark, murky place. Yeah,
0: of isolation and you look around your life and you think, no, my life is objectively terrible. And sometimes depression makes your life objectively terrible. I've been in in situations where, you know, it can lead to not being able to do your job, to not being able to finish your university degree. Your friendships fall away. You've got issues with your family. All of those things happen. But it can be repaired. And we see that all the time and there aren't enough stories about that. I think because and maybe it's because we're very instantaneous with how we create content now that we share things from the absolute from the pit and we're going this is what it feels like and there is absolutely a lot of validity in, in that and I think that can be helpful. But I think we've also got to be honest that that there is hope and try and tell the
1: story So maybe it's about choosing hope as opposed to choosing to be happy. Yes. Choosing to live hopefully. And
0: choosing hope is getting out of bed or not, just choosing to be alive. And I know that that sounds really um, maybe hyperbolic, but it's not. I don't think it is. I I think it's a reality. It's choosing to be alive and the bravery of that. Uh, And in the book, it, deals with the subject of suicide, and I think most people have lost someone they love to suicide. There's no hope that you're gonna get better. There is no no future. There is no retribution. There is that is the ultimate tragedy. And that's what I wanted to do in the book as well is show that just by being alive, that is an act of of hope. And things, I mean, yeah, all the research says you'll get better. It, it, it will get better. You've just got to put one foot in front of the other, even if that means laying a bit.
1: So your book, which I finished on the weekend, Something Bad is Going to Happen. And I, what I have to confess, though, to you is initially I was resistant to read it. And why I was is having my own experience of depression My mum has got bipolar disorder. We have other members of our family with depression. And so, so much of my life is this. And so, and I was thinking, I don't know (laughs) if I want to read it.
0: (laughs) Do you find that you spend a lot of your time as well trying not to look at it? Yes. You're like, no, 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 I'm looking at the sun. Yes, I (laughs) want to look at the blue sky.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's great, I'm choosing to look at the blue sky. However, I loved it. Thank you. It made me weep. It made me think about my own family. It made me think about my own experience of depression. And it made me think about my daughters and their generation as well Mm. and what's ahead for them. Mm. So I really, I want to thank you for writing this. And it has resonated with so many people. And that is significant just through how well it's doing. But I found there was something very visceral that I found reading it. So thank you. A
0: lot of people have said that there are moments that are sort of deeply uncomfortable. I think if you have been there where the character goes, you go, no, no, don't take me there. Don't take me there. I I know what it feels like. Um, But that was intentional because I wanted people who have never experienced that to follow a character to being completely undone. Not this kind of, you know, people talk about the sad girl novel and it's this idea of... I don't know, things get a little bit bad and
1: it's a bad boyfriend or whatever. And, I, I, and you have I, a day or two in bed. Yeah. Drink too much, but then you get over it. Exactly. And life continues I with thought, a new pair of jeans. No. Let's,
0: <laughs> what, what does your worst day look like? What does that day where everything is really bad, like there becomes something so antisocial about you that you want to shake that main character. And as someone who has been that main character but also known them, I know the frustration of wanting to yell in someone's face. Cheer up, get up. What's there to be so sad about? Because you're watching them drown, and they are pulling people down with them. This and is, again, that's not
1: their choice. It's though, not their is choice, it? but it can be. And you're spot on. Infuriating. Yes. When you're when you love someone, when you're a more than a bystander, you want to help them, but you feel powerless. And I think also that was what really struck me too reading your book, those moments when the beautiful main character, Adela, there were moments when she sort of felt powerless with her mum, when Mm -hmm. she'd see what her mum was going through. And I've heard you also talk about moments when you felt powerless with your dad, when you'd see him going through it. We set ourselves these, I used to do it with my mum, these ideas that if we do something, that will make the person better. Yeah. And that doesn't happen. But why do we do that? I
0: think it's... It has to start in childhood because I have this memory of being about six or seven, knowing my dad was sad and going, if I just vacuum the floor, I think that'll fix it. And so I'd vacuum and then I'd go, what if I tell a joke? What if I have a really good story? What if I come back and my report is amazing? And my dad never put that on me, but it became my job. The pain of watching a parent sad was so, like, consuming. And the irony to that is he watched his own dad sad. And so I'm sure there's an element of learned, but the most recent research is suggesting this is genetic. And when I speak to my 96-year-old grandfather, the fact that, you know, we live in different worlds. I'm a woman, he's a man. We had the same thoughts at the same age. Like there is something happening is Isn't that
1: phenomenal? There is that intergenerational link, isn't there, with mental illness.
0: Absolutely. And even though they can't point to the exact, it's different for everyone. It is completely different. Some people, you know, it'll start with sleep. Some people, it feels more physical. Some people, it's a certain... In our family, it felt like there was a certain age where people unraveled. And even though my problems are very different to my father's problems, this dialogue that we've created to go hey, do you ever feel like, and then say something that to someone else, they'd go, that is the darkest, saddest crap I've ever heard. But that's been a lifeline for our family. And in fact, there's been a lot of humor in that. And my mum, who has, does not struggle with her mental health, is just looking at all of us going, get it together. Can we just have a nice dinner without everyone bloody talking about death or talking about um, despair? But that's our, our way of coping. And it's funny. And I, I wonder if you've experienced this, this too. Sometimes you feel like you're doing well. And maybe this is me being an identical twin as well. And then the person that you love, they sink.
1: And so... You, it's never It's, never, it's never even keel. You're kind of, you're like, I've got myself together. Yeah. Oh dear, people around <laughs> me are falling apart. Oh, they're together. Now I'm falling apart. And I suppose, you know, thinking about that idea we've been talking about choosing to be happy. We've decided it's not as simple as that. You cannot choose to be happy. What though could we do in terms of choosing to help our mental health? There'd be people listening Mm. who, I mean, we've already spoken about if you are feeling depressed, although you're not going to feel like you're getting better, you will get through, hang in. Mm. But what are some other things that you could perhaps say to someone who's listening about what you could choose to do to help your mental health?
0: I think the number one thing that has been found is to keep trying with the connection. So if that's with family, friends, anyone, just try uh, the dog, anyone, just connection to completely disconnect is to make things worse. But what I will also say to those people is that there's something structural going on. And this thing of thinking that we can solve, and and look, seeing a psychologist go to your GP, medicine will work for some people. It will not work for everyone. There are different approaches. But there's also something structural going on. There's something bigger going on. And I think that's important to note as well, that it's not your fault and that, for example, The big thing I wanted to talk about in this book was the role of class because I speak from a position of someone who can afford to see a psychologist at the moment. I know what it feels like, you know, 10 years ago to not be able to, to go, that's not something I can afford every week. So there is something broken in our mental health system and I wanted to speak to that as well because when we talk about mental health, we're just not talking about class enough. And there's this term or this idea of of deaths of despair or a sort of slow violence of people living in certain circumstances that are genuinely incredibly difficult. And we can tell them to go for a walk, but it's not going to fix it. And there needs to be more resources. And for this to be a more democratized approach, where at the moment, I still think there's an incredible lack of, if you're in need of acute mental health care you cannot get it and there needs to be some structural changes there what this robs you of and what this does to a society when people are this sad it's monumental so that's the big thing
1: and jesse thanks to extraordinary women like you who are using your voice to share stories and experiences that's how we're going to get this change. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It really is something quite special to talk with you and to have you share in the way you have.
0: Thank you. And your story, all those years ago, I remember you talking about your experience of depression and that was one of the first. And I remember it so clearly. It was a conversation in our household. And that is something that, I mean, this book probably wouldn't exist without people like you, so thank you so much. Thank you, that'll make me cry.
1: (laughs) Thank you, that's lovely, thank Thank you. Thank you. As you can hear, I got a bit teary at the end of that conversation. That was such a moment for me, for Jessie to share and say how much me sharing had meant to her, because that's really why we do things, isn't it? There's still a part of me that each time I share, I think, oh, is this too much? But then when I hear those words back that that helped me or my family and I remember that, I know it is the right thing to do. So thank you, Jessie. I just love that. I'm still sort of ah, having a deep breath. As I mentioned in our chat, her book, Something Bad Is Going To Happen, is phenomenal. I was a little bit reluctant to read it just because of my own personal experiences and thinking, do I want to go back there? But it really is a beautiful read. It's moving, it's funny, and it makes you think. And it also, I think, gives us a greater sense of compassion and empathy. And isn't that what the stuff of life is all about? Now, for more big conversations like this, you can subscribe and follow the Jess Big Talk Show podcast. It means you'll never miss an episode. And if there's someone in your life who you think might enjoy this conversation, why not share it with them by tapping the three dots on your phone and you pass it along? It is that simple. And if you enjoyed this Big Question episode with Jesse, I reckon you'll love my chat with guest Erin Molan. This was never about people not liking me or people going online and saying they thought I was a flog. That's part and parcel of working in the public eye and and that's completely fine. But this was about things that were written and sent to me that took me to some really dark places and that really frightened me and scared me and made me fear for my life and my daughter's life. And when I think about the fact that What we've done, a lot of people have done, might stop that from happening to other people down the track and might save lives. It will save lives, in fact. makes me very emotional. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.